Has your bank, credit union, or fintech ever facilitated a digital secret shopping study on your public-facing website? Well, if you're like most financial brands, the answer is probably no. And if this is you, don't worry, because today we're going to uncover the greatest opportunities digital secret shopping studies can create on today's episode of Banking on Digital Growth. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Audrey Kanata to the show. Audrey is our operations lead here at the Digital Growth Institute where she helps to manage the facilitation of digital secret shopping studies for financial brands. And today we're going to dive deep into the biggest growth opportunities that you can create or you can capture as a bank, as a credit union, or as a fintech when you commit to run digital secret shopping studies on your public-facing website, I would say once every 90 days. Welcome to the show, Audrey. It is always good to share time together with you. As always, what is good for you personally or professionally? It is your pick to get started. Thank you, James Robert. Very excited to be back here today. Uh, Well, you know this, but I recently took a trip over to uh, Arizona. And, you know, before I left, just coincidentally, I had a few, you know, really big decisions coming up that I was kind of stuck on. And, And honestly, it wasn't intentional. But while I was there, I really gave myself permission to just detach, not think about them, enjoy my time, get a little, you know, mental reset. And when I got back, you know, my mind was clear and I was relaxed and, and really able to look at things from a new angle and, and gain some clarity. I think it's just a really great reminder of you know, how important it is to take time to just pause, you know, especially in times of confusion. You know, it's so easy to spin in circles and overanalyze when ultimately that can, you know, prevent you from seeing the solution or the clear path forward. That's a fantastic setup. And by the way, for the dear listener, we do not rehearse these. We literally have kind of, okay, this is what we're going to talk about. And you've set this up so wonderfully because when you're talking about taking a time, taking a moment to pause and to review and to reflect, to gain new perspective, to gain clarity, that's the idea of facilitating digital secret shopping studies. And, you know, when we think about how we're set up here at the Digital Growth Institute. We have front stage and we have backstage. And as you are operations lead, you are helping to facilitate a lot of the back end, back office operations. And one of the big areas is around digital secret shopping studies. You attended an American Banker webinar uh, recently. And in this webinar, they were comparing digital experiences of the top five U.S. banks Um, They gained insights from 1,500 consumers that had interacted with and provided feedback into the digital acquisition journeys, or or maybe from our lens, the digital growth journeys of these five large retail banks. And you have invested a tremendous amount of time um, doing the same thing for financial brands in our program. 
And I think at this point we've conducted over the years, at least over a thousand studies. Yeah. So I actually did the math just for fun the other day and I am up to almost 100 hours of analyzing consumer experiences on financial brand websites. A hundred hours of film. And, you know, it's interesting thinking about film and just your, the way you naturally initiate and take action. Coming back to our Colby conversation um, before on this podcast, but watching film, you know, you, you have a love for football. Um, the football players spend a lot of time analyzing film, um, you know, what, what worked well, what could be even better understanding even the competition, uh, as well. And so when you think about the perspective that you've gained through these 100, 100 plus hours of watching film, of, of observing people, human beings navigating through different digital shopping experiences i'm going to come back to the american banker webinar and we'll use that as context and then we'll we'll transition into some of our own perspective our own thinking because what i found fascinating from the notes you shared with me with the american banker is there's a lot of similarity there's a lot of patterns at a macro level with these large five national retail financial brands to what we're also seeing at more of a community or a regional level. So what what surprised you or what was maybe a, 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 a perspective or an insight from the American Banker Insights? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that they asked them to do, well, they asked them to do three different things. And it was find the interest rate for a savings account apply for the savings account, and then contact support. And mm. what I found so interesting was that the application experience, the conversion experience, actually performed the best overall. And you know, you know, you and I know that there's a lot of, you know, sometimes cumbersome applications. Um, but I do think, you know, while this was the most performing, you know, if your rates if, if the finding the rate experience or getting your questions answered uh, experience falls flat, you're not going to get to that conversion experience. So it's really important that these all kind of work hand in hand. That's a great point to make. And someone who's listening could be thinking, well, we have a fantastic conversion experience or we have a fantastic application experience. And I would maybe pause them on that thought because we know and we see this when looking at data and analytics on the depository side 65 to 70 75 percent 80 percent of deposit applications actually abandon the process where on the lending side it could be upwards of 90 percent 95 percent even of uh, consumers abandon the application why is it important to consider this and not get overly confident if you're getting insight from a, not, a large national study that applying for the account had the best response, why, why should we not get overconfident about that? There's so much afterthought when it comes to 
analyzing and looking at the consumer journey online. And we know that a majority of, of customers, you know, 90% or upwards, they start their, their journey online. And so, you know, if you're not taking the time to think about those experiences and, you know, we have a bias, you know, subconscious or not, um, it's a cognitive bias that we have. It's like our home. We know where to find the information. Mm. We know where to go. So it's easy to assume that others do as well. We're not thinking about it from an outside perspective. And and a majority of you know financial brands have never secret shopped their website. So it's a really, really huge uh, competitive advantage. It's not even the majority. It's actually 94%. Um, and this was from a study that we conducted a, a couple of years ago whenever I was writing banking on digital growth, 94% of financial brands have never facilitated any type of digital secret shopping study on their website. How might this lack of knowledge, this lack of awareness, this lack of perspective, because they have not done something along these lines, secret shopping a website. Now they've done their branches pretty, pretty religiously, but not their websites. How could that be costing them millions in loans and deposits? And and what might they be missing that you are starting to see is pretty obvious from pattern matching? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are so many, I think, missed opportunities here, especially from a communication standpoint. Mm. I cannot tell you how many users that I have watched get so frustrated because they're not getting follow-up communication or maybe they're stuck in the application process and they abandon it and there's nobody reaching out to them saying, hey, we saw that you started this. Is there a problem? Can we help you? How can we clarify things for you? And instead, that person is going on down the road to the next person because they aren't going to wait around. They're not going to come back and and reapply most of the time. And so there's, you know, they're, they're being left kind of hanging there. And so I think there's a huge advantage to take a look and see where in the journey are people falling off? Where do we need to clarify things and and help them out and, and really hold their hands? I think we underestimate how much people really need their hands held. And, and I don't mean that in a condescending way at all. No. You know, they want to know, tell me where to go next. Tell me what to expect. What are the steps like? How long is this going to take? What documents do I need? Give them all of that up front so they have that sense of confidence that they're making the right decision. You know, you, you use a key word right here, confidence. And there are a couple of things that need to happen before someone reaches that level of confidence that they click the apply button. But as we've been talking about, just because someone clicks the apply button does not mean that A, they're going to complete the application or B, they're even going to go all the way through funding. Um, you know, we, we get we see a lot of applications that, are approved but not funded and then that begs the question of well why and what can we do to improve the funding rate so roll this back preceding confidence it comes down to clarity i think clarity is the first step because someone enters into a buying journey and there is research around this cuna mutual did a study a while back um, and i want to say it's like 65 percent and don't quote me on this but i'm going to paraphrase this it's around 65 percent of consumers enter into a buying journey, particularly for a loan product, with some level of anxiety. Um, They feel um, anxious about the process. They feel 
concerned, am I going to get approved? And so to combat that confusion and that conflict, clarity is the first step. And when you come back to what was shared in this American Banker webinar, you think about, okay, find the interest rate, contact support, apply for the savings account. Well, the clarity is going to come from the ability to find the savings rate in the first place because it's almost like that's the awareness stage of the buying journey. They're aware they have a problem, but they're looking for a solution to that problem. I What I found interesting from the insights that came from this study, that was the area that had the most conflict in the buying journey was finding the interest rate, right? Yes. And, you know, with, with that... It, it wasn't so much of a, uh, you know, pass or fail. It's a lot of misinformation. So, you know, I don't know what's worse. They can't find the interest rate or they're getting the wrong interest rate or they're or getting, you know, they're getting misinformation. That, right. that could, you could argue that that might hurt your credibility even more. And a lot of people commented that when they couldn't find the interest rate or any information for that matter, it felt like it was on purpose. Why are they hiding that from uh. me? That really affected their level of trust. Why are the fees not listed here? Why did I have to click four times and then finally open up a PDF with tiny small print to find my answers? It just doesn't sit well and feel good as a consumer. Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing frustrating and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown. Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply. That's a great point. And, you know, when you think about communication once again it's about providing a clarity but then before someone reaches that level of confidence they have to increase their courage to commit and that courage to commit might mean that someone needs additional information they might have some additional questions they might feel better by connecting with a human being at the organization to gain some additional perspective, to gain some knowledge, to gain some expertise from someone else, which is where contacting support comes back into play. And I think about the methodologies that we teach, you have what we call a secondary call to action or a transitional call to action that that can sometimes sit either beside or below a primary call to action, primary being apply or open the account. Secondary is request a callback or have someone call me. Um, what 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 are some of the findings there? In thinking about just our own studies, when someone sees that, how does that make them feel? We have had so many users really, really appreciate and specifically target that request a callback feature, you know, more than just filling out an online form and having someone email you back in a couple days, more than calling and then waiting on hold and hearing all of the annoying hold music for who knows how long, but it's that we will call you back. 
We're not wasting your time. Put your number in and we'll get right back to you. That makes people feel like you are really there to help them, to make their life easier. You're serving them versus some of these other methods of contacting. Yes. And I think, you know, when you look at trying to get in touch with a human being, there's the contact button historically in the upper right-hand corner of a secondary navigation bar. But when you add that to the shopping experience, it comes back to feelings and emotions. It increases their level of courage to then commit, particularly once they do get that call back. And because we're decreasing the friction of making a human connection digitally. But what would you say to someone who is like, well, that's just going to make our lives miserable because we're getting all of these inbound requests now that we're going to have to field and follow up. And that's going to cause us to force us to change internally. Well, I think first and foremost, the more you secret shop your site and the more you continuously optimize, I can almost guarantee the number of contacts, the number of people that will be contacting you for questions are going to naturally decrease. So it's kind of one of those, it works almost hand in hand. But I mean, going back to your your question, it's extremely important. Um, you know, these are all missed opportunities. If, if people are left hanging, like we mentioned before, they're not going to wait around. You know, there's tons of competitors. They're going to go to the place where they have their questions answered quickly. We have to remember how our consumers are feeling and what they are needing. It is not about your, you know, overloading your call centers. Yes. And, and that's a great point. And I think too, we have to look at the idea of, we'll call it the transitional or the secondary call to action. You know, have someone call me. That's almost like someone walking through the physical doors of your branch. Exactly. And if you make that, that type of a human connection challenging, either A, the doors are locked or they're having to crawl through the doggy door to get into the branch to begin with in the first place. There's friction there. So I, I, I want to come back to, you know, why, why invest in digital secret shopping? Because I'm willing to bet the vast majority of, of listeners have not partaken in this type of activity before coming from our, our industry research and they are losing literally millions of dollars because of this. Why create the space and time to pause, to review, to take that trip to Arizona, like you talked about in your opening remarks, just to step away to gain new perspective. Why? It's really, you know, the only way you can truly discover what's in the minds of your consumers. You know, when it comes to analyzing customer or sales experience, I mean, you cannot replicate these live human responses. I mean, you are getting real time anecdotal 
feedback and, and you're almost feeling the pain or the friction alongside <laughs> with them. You're able to really see and experience this is real. So it's, it's more, uh, you know, uh, more important data, more powerful data than you're going to get with an online survey or a focus group or anything else. You are really getting into the minds of your consumers, your, you know, your target audience. That's a fantastic point to make. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not just the why um, you're literally getting into their head, but it's the how, because you're, you're talking about real life people. And I want to provide some clarity for the dear listener here, because, you know, they, they're like, well, we are doing surveys um, on our website or, you know, we, we do our annual study. There's two ways to look at digital shopology. Coming back to that point I made before, there's the quantitative large data sets, um, and then there's the qualitative. And this is something that I wrote about in Banking on Digital Growth when you talk about big data, i.e. quantitative, and then you have thick data, qualitative. The quantitative gets into, okay, well, this is what people are doing at a macro level. And we do some of that. You know, we do heat maps, click maps. They show pattern matching. I, I want to pause on that point because there was, you know, when we're thinking about deposits, um, because deposits are a hot topic right now, uh, there was one particular institution that you facilitated some digital secret shopping around. And we looked at the heat maps. We looked at the click maps. And you observed something that was literally costing them millions in deposits. And it's, you, you, you can't place fault. You can't place blame because people just don't know what they don't know. What happened in, with probably the most important part of the buying journey, which was the primary call to action, what did you observe through the quantitative findings for this particular organization? Yes, and, and I do want to, you know, I want to agree with what you said before. You know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And, you know, while these secret shopping studies, the findings can can sometimes feel painful, uh, and frustrating, it really is such a wonderful opportunity. Once you get past that feeling of pain, okay, now we know what to do. Now we have a solution and we're only going to get better and improve the experience. But in regards to the particular study that we conducted, this particular, it was a, a checking account page and the page was, was rather long. So there was a lot of scrolling um, and the CTA was at the bottom of the page. And we found like close to 95% of people did not make it to the CTA before leaving the page. And we literally asked them, what would you do next if you were ready to open an account? And they abandoned. They almost all of them abandoned or they went to the wrong place. I think only half of them even made it midway down the page. Yeah. And that right there, while yes, it is hard to hear, if you think about it, the placement of a CTA, that is an easy fix. It yes. really is. So a lot of these findings that we're, that we're seeing, yes, sure, it's painful. The numbers don't look good, but it's easy fixes. It's things that you can do in the next couple of days that will make a world of difference. Absolutely. And, and I think about this one organization you you could see the frustration, the embarrassment, the almost the shame 
on their face. And, and I've sat in some really uncomfortable conversations, although I will say I think one person who took the critical feedback the best was Mia Perez. Um, Because she talked about, and and we had this conversation on the podcast where she talked about this experience of digital shopology, uh, of of facilitating digital secret shopping studies on their website. She likened it, and I I cannot relate to this (laughs) as 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 a man, but, but Mia referenced this in her words, it felt like a full body wax. So <laughs> painful, but it provided them with perspective that they were able to then quickly take action to get some short-term wins, but then also work to- towards a much longer-term plan for continuous optimization. So that's the quantitative piece. I want to I want to move from the, the the how of the quantitative to the qualitative. That's the thick data, where the quantitative is this is what people are doing at a macro level. The qualitative, back to your point before, this is where you start to get into to not just people's heads, but you get into their hearts as well um, and understand why they do what they do, why they make the decisions that they make. Provide some perspective into the qualitative approach that we take here because I think there might be a misunderstanding from some who have never gone down this path before they need to get like 30 or 40 or 50 people to do a qualitative study to find patterns which is not the case right and I know from my personal experience I was unaware of really how simple the qualitative piece and I say simple in terms of number of users it really is because I was you know thinking like many others oh my gosh we probably need dozens to get an accurate you know set of data but really the research has shown that the magic number is really five users because that is as close to the maximum benefit cost ratio you're gonna get for for user testing. Because after about three or four users, the same issues and, and trends tend to crop up. You know, there's clear patterns that adding any more on, you're just gonna see the same repeated behavior. So it's really the best return on your investment, which is great because if you have the budget, you can do more studies. Instead of more people and less studies, you can study and secret shop multiple different product lines. You know, there's a article from the Nielsen Norman Group that provides some third-party perspective around this as well. And they look at the law of diminishing return. So when you go from, say, five people doing a qualitative digital secret shopping study to 10 to 15, you're not gaining that much more perspective. You know, when we're around that, you know, five to 10 range we're getting the 80%. We're getting the 80% that we can take pretty immediate action on. Those patterns percolate fairly quickly. You know, after a couple, we're like, okay, okay. And then the now, like you said, you've been spending 100 hours, 100 plus hours on this. And then I think about all of the time that I had invested before you came in and helped started to facilitate this. You know, we're talking close, to probably anywhere between 500 to 1,000 hours of time over time okay i need five people but then you also have to consider time 
because we actually do 10. So we do five for desktop experience, five for mobile. Why test both? Well, definitely test both. Um, there are two different experiences. What you see on you know the mobile side isn't the same experience as a desktop. So it's and and really now in this day, most people are probably going to be on their phones looking things up. So it's really important not to overlook that piece, um, especially from really more so of an aesthetic and an appearance. We see a lot of, of sites that are not dynamic. And, you know, I've seen users who can't even click the next steps because the buttons might be overlapping or there's something, you know, wrong uh, as far as the way the site's structured. So it really is eye-opening to see the difference between mobile and, you know, the web experience. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, on the qualitative side of things you open up every study with two very specific questions what are these questions and why open up every study with these same two questions sure so the first question is initially based on what you're seeing right now right on the page do you feel like you can trust this financial brand. You know, it's either a, a yes or a no. And we know that consumers will form opinions and answers within milliseconds of being, you know, on a digital experience. So it's important to get that initial feeling because they're not going to continue on if the answer is no. And the second question is based upon what you see, how does this financial brand make you feel right now? And more importantly, it's the why. You know, it's really important that we ask these open-ended questions and really understand the reasonings. You know, there really is such a correlation between an experience and the level of trust and feeling and confidence, especially when we're talking about finances. What are some of the patterns, thinking about maybe some of the recent studies that we've facilitated, when it comes to the responses to these two questions and why are people answering the way? What inf I guess the better question is what influences their responses either positively or negatively when it comes to those feelings of trust? Definitely. So I think the biggest thing that I have seen which has been quite interesting is when people first land on your website, they want it to feel like a bank. And I know we've seen a lot of really wonderful websites, but if they don't feel like this is a place where they can confidently put their money and it's not clear, they're going to not have that, that level of trust. So it's really important while, yes, you want to, you know, be unique and friendly and warm. It is still very important to, you know, perceive yourself as that professional expert. Yes, we are a bank and we are here to take care of you and help you with your finances. So that's probably the biggest thing that I have seen. But a majority of people that I, uh, initially, they do tend to trust the site uh, right off the bat. What we see, though, is as the journey continues, that level of trust can easily drop within minutes. What what makes that, that those, those initial feel-good feelings, what takes a toll on them as they 
continue down this path? It really comes down to confusion, not being able to find information, not understanding the information, not knowing where to go. That's that is really what it is all about. You can have a beautiful site. You can have the most, you know, friendly and warm feelings, but if there is confusion, you lose credibility immediately. People yeah. lose that trust. Why is it so difficult for me to find? Yeah. You mentioned multiple product lines. Someone who's listening thinking, well, let's go out and test checking and auto and credit card and savings and mortgage. Do we do it all at once or do we break it up? Do it separate times every 90 days? What's your recommendation on that? Absolutely break it up. Test one every 90 days for many reasons. You know, you don't need this overhaul, website overhaul overnight. Uh, it can be overwhelming both internally for staff to have to think, oh my gosh, we need to make all these changes. Mm. This is too much. But also externally from a consumer perspective, if your consumers visit your site and it looks completely different than it did the day before, they're confused. They're yeah. not going to understand why you're going to lose a little bit of trust. So if you sl make slight changes, slight optimization, slight improvements to the experience, it's not going to feel as jar jarring. They're still going to feel comfortable because this is their site. This is what they're used to. I, I want to come back to another example because I just think about deposits being such a hot topic right now. And this was a a study that was facilitated for an organization around MMAs, um, not MMA, the fighting tournament, but uh, money market accounts. And I think this particular organization had a lot of confidence going into it. Why? They, they just launched a new website. They felt really, really good about all of the work that they had done. And then we facilitated this study and this one, once again, I find humor in all of this because these I'm still learning. You're still learning. We're still learning things about people that we oh, wow, that that was that was a very interesting observation. Let's remember this here. What happened in this particular study that I think gave everyone a bit of a chuckle when we were sharing our findings? Yes, and we can laugh about this because the the financial brand that we were working with, they laughed about it too. So you know, definitely, it's, I think we're okay here. But it was it was very fascinating, and and yes, it was funny too. Um, one of the very first questions that we asked all of the users is, in your own words, what is a money market account? And I don't think, but maybe one even got close to what it was. There was so much confusion. We actually had one, this is probably one of my favorite stories, is, is we had a user actually stop, Google what is a money market account, and then read that definition because they couldn't even take a stab at it. Um, yes. And then after that, we asked them to, if you don't know what a money market account, where would you go to, to figure it out? To, to learn more on this particular website. And so from there, 
this, what one of the things they did well was they did have an area on the site that explained what a money market account was, but the optimization for them, it was a little bit, uh, a few, a few too many clicks away from the main money market account page. So I think that alone, you know, we do have that cognitive bias. Mm. We forget that, you know, finances and a lot of the terminology is not common to a lot of people. So we have to do our part to really help simplify and explain a lot of these different acronyms and different types of accounts and so on. You know, the, the idea of cognitive bias, I would have come back to, I, I get asked from time to time, particularly when I'm out at a, a conference and, and keynoting, I might bring up some of these insights and someone will come up to me afterwards and, well, how do we do this? How, how can we do this? And I kind of walk them through a very high level strategy, but I always warn them, you're more than welcome to do this. I, I encourage you to do this, but you might be too close to have the objectivity into what is really being communicated, what is really being said. Perhaps you and I should do actually a, a course or a class, but I don't know if we'd be doing more harm than good because of that idea of objectivity, which is why... in by no way should someone work with us. There are plenty of other great firms out there. I, I mentioned Nielsen Norman Group. I mean, they they are framed as the world leaders in research-based user experience. Our whole perspective is tied specifically to the financial services market. What should one be aware of, though, if they do go down a path and they're like, yeah, you know what, we're going to bring this thinking internally how can they prevent the cognitive bias that that could trip them up? Well, like you said, I think it's really important to, you know, bring in a third party, partner with somebody who can help you and, and pattern match. And, and look, you know, it can be emotional, especially those in, you know, the marketing department and, and the ones who are specifically, you know, overseeing the website. This can be very emotional for them. This is their, probably their passion project. Mm. Um, so it can be a little bit painful. So bringing, out, bringing somebody outside in to help facilitate and really, you know, present the information in an objective way, I think is really, really helpful. I think the other thing too to consider as well look at different stages of the buying journey you know you could look at testing the awareness stage you could look at testing the consideration stage you could look at testing the purchase stage of the buying journey you could look at testing the adoption and the onboarding stage because i think sometimes we try to do it all at once and then it becomes far too overwhelming to actually apply the knowledge. So we get all of this information, we get all of this insight, but we fail to commit to take action, which is where I think a coaching element comes back into play here. What's your take on that? How to you know help people move from the knowledge? Because I think we've done numerous studies and nothing has happened following those studies. I think that's another danger to be aware of what can be done to prevent, you know, people from getting stuck in, you know, making no decision or taking no action when if they just do one thing coming out of this, they're, they're moving forward and making progress. 
you're absolutely right. You know, knowledge is one thing, but the application is a whole different area. And yeah, we've conducted a lot of studies and then circled back and no action was taken. And, you know, if you're going to commit to the time Mm. to learn, you've got to take some action. And like you said, just pick one thing. It doesn't have to be a complete overhaul. Sure, we might, you know, pinpoint five key insights or patterns for this one, you know, portion of the journey. Just pick one and and start with the 90 days. Commit to one every 90 days. It's really, you know, small bites at a time, so it's not overwhelming. Where would one get started with this? They're like, okay, we want to do this. We're aware that if we do this internally, we need to watch out for cognitive bias. I would even add to that, you know, bring off, break up a, a separate group or an individual that has permission to hurt the feelings of other people and not in a, a nefarious way, but with love um, or the words of Blair ends being ruthlessly kind, knowing that we're going to get even better. We're going to identify gaps in our, not just our marketing you know, positioning processes and systems, but also our, our sales processes and systems as well. Because when you think about digital growth, it's not just marketing, it's not just sales, it's marketing and sales working hand in hand together to target, capture, nurture, convert, onboard um, loans and deposits. Where where can someone get started today, but but very, very small so that they can at least build their their own confidence moving forward? Sure. Take a look at your goals that you have set right now. You know, what areas are you, are you working to optimize and just pick one small test, just one small commitment. You don't need a large budget. You don't need a lot of time. This really is such a, you know, for, for the investment, both, both cost and time, there is a massive potential for return. And if you have any questions or, you know, you need additional insight, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm, you know, I'm happy to help and, and point you in the right direction. On that note, how can someone connect with you to continue the conversation that we've started here? And this has been, this has been good. We've, we've taken a little bit of a different path than what you and I normally do kind of getting behind the scenes, if you will, um, into just the digital growth methodology, but what's the best way for someone to reach out and say hello to you? Yeah, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn, Audrey Kanata. Happy to connect on there. Connect with Audrey, learn with Audrey grow with Audrey. Audrey, this has been so good. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth and going behind the scenes together. This was great. I love it. I loved uh, doing something a little bit different this time. As always and until next time, be well, do good, make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.